Okay, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. This is the message God put on my heart yesterday as I was seeking the Lord. And I truly believe this message will bless you and give you wisdom. Wisdom. You determine your response and the posture of your heart in such times. We have been receiving amazing testimonies of people receiving healing just by watching the online, uh, the live stream. People receiving deliverance. People being set free from fear and from depression and so on. And we believe that even today, as you switch on your faith, you will experience the same and even more. Even people experiencing encounters with God. Hallelujah. So be ready. Be expectant. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. The Bible says, And now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and me today to continue in, to dwell in, to remain. The word abide means to remain in this tree during this pandemic situation. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love. And I felt the Spirit of God speaking to my heart saying to everyone who's going to be watching this today, remain, continue to remain in a posture of faith. Trusting in the goodness of God. Abide in confident expectation of good things to come. Because there are better days ahead. God is good. He is faithful. And we will go out of this situation stronger, better. And God is saying, and in the midst of everything that we are hearing and seeing, remember to walk in love. Remember to stay in love and charity to all. How do we apply this word in a situation? First, let's look at the word faith. That word means trust in God. Rely upon the Lord. You see, in the very beginning when the pandemic broke, our response was faith and is faith and will continue to be faith. As believers, no matter what situations we will face in life, our response must always be faith. Never fear. Never questioning. Never saying, why, Lord, why? I remember meeting a colonel in the army many years back. A Christian. He had suffered an experience where he had lost some family members. And as he was crying, the Lord said to him, do not say why, but just trust in me. There are so many questions which we do not have the answers for. But when we dwell too many times on the questions, we will be responding in unbelief and doubt. Our response must always be faith, trusting in the goodness of God, that even though we may not understand why things are happening, we know God is good and God is faithful. You see, faith is not an option for the believer. Faith is not something we switch on only during times of crisis. Faith must be the default mode of every believer. In every situation of life, God is expecting and demanding of us, walk by faith, live by faith, please me by faith. So faith is what we respond to. Whether it's times of prosperity or times of adversity, 
our response is always faith. If we look into the scriptures, every man and woman of God who faced tribulation, difficulty, calamities in their lives, they overcame by faith. This is the victory by which we overcome the world, our faith. That means we must continue to trust in God. We must continue to rely upon God, holding on to His goodness. If you look at the testimony of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, from verse 23 to 28, we see all the different things that Paul went through. Imprisonment, scourged by the whip, by the rod five times, stoned almost to death, shipwrecked, floating on the sea, in perils of hunger, in perils of robber, in perils of false teacher, in perils of his own countrymen, in nakedness, in hunger, in fastings often, the burden and the care of the church that came upon him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, he talks about how outside there were conflicts, inside there were fears. In the book of Timothy, he writes that God delivered him out of the mouth of the lion. Now that is figurative speech. But it implied that God delivered him out of danger. Out of a near-death experience. And he said God is able to deliver him and preserve him for his heavenly kingdom. You see, Paul at the end said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He fought the fight of faith. Everything he went through in his life and ministry after meeting Christ, he did it by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of faith tells us that faith is not only to be used for obtaining promises, getting healing, experiencing deliverance and protection, but faith is also used for obedience. Faith is to be used to go through trials and tribulation. Faith is to be used to go through persecution, to take courage in battle, even to go through violence. Faith, going through the fire like Daniel's friends, all of them by faith. Even by faith, they sacrificed. Even by faith, they denied themselves. So the sum total of the human experience we as believers will reign in life when we learn to walk by faith. Not by our feelings, not by our emotions, by faith. So God is saying to us today, as the world goes through this pandemic and the world is in fear and confusion, you, the believer, remain in faith. Abide in faith. Stay in faith. Be at peace. Trust in the Lord. Secondly, that word hope. Bible hope is the Greek word elpis. And elpis means confident expectation. A confident expectation of good things to come in the future. And God is saying to you today, remain and abide in a confident expectation that good things are to come in the future. Why is hope so important? Proverbs 13 verse 12. Proverbs 13 verse 12. See, the Bible is full of psychological truths also. The Bible says, hope deferred or delayed 
makes the heart sick. In other words, an expectation that is delayed, a problem that is continuing without any light at the end of the tunnel. The stress that continues for days and months, the crisis that refuses to dissipate, steals hope. And when hope is gone, the heart begins to be sick, discouraged, worn out, bitter, negative, depressed. What happens when we lose hope? Let me share with you this sad, tragic story about the U.S.-Vietnam War. Major Harold Kushner was a prisoner of the Viet Cong for more than five years. And this is what he testifies. He describes one of his fellow American prisoners, a tough 24-year-old Marine who had, made a, who had made a deal with the captors. The Marine agreed to cooperate with the enemy and, within, and in return, the commander of the prison camp promised he would let him go. The young Marine did whatever was asked of him. He became a model prisoner and he even became the leader of the camp's thought reform group. But before long, it became clear to him that the camp commander had lied to him and had no intention of releasing him. This is how Major Kushner describes what happens next to the Marine. When the full realization of this took hold in his heart, he became a zombie. He refused to do any work. He rejected all offers of food and encouragement. He simply lay on his bed, sucking his thumb. In a matter of weeks, he was dead. The cause of this prisoner's death must be, might be summarized in one word, hopelessness. Many doctors say that during the World War II, Korea, Vietnam Wars, many prisoners died from a condition that they nicknamed give up itis. The prisoners faced grim conditions. They had no prospect of freedom and some of them became demoralized and deeply mired in depression. After a while, they became apathetic. They refused to eat or drink. They spent the time staring blankly into space and drained of hope, these prisoners gradually wasted away and died. This testimony tells us that the human spirit needs hope to survive and to thrive. Dr. Arnold says this, Since my early years as a physician, I learned that taking away hope is like pronouncing a death sentence to my patients. Their already hard-pressed will to live can become paralyzed and then they give up and die. Now, we don't know how long this situation is going to last. It is not as terrible as the pandemics in the past or even the wars that people have gone through. We don't know how long this will continue, but experts say the virus may come back in the winter. We don't know. God knows. There is a greater crisis looming the economic crisis, the recession, and the financial famine that's going to cause many to lose their jobs, to lose their security, and it will cause a greater mental, emotional problem in the days to come. And some of you have been living in conditions where you are under stress. One room, one bedroom apartment, entire family sharing small spaces, 
lack, no food, cramped conditions. And that is really frustrating you in your heart. Now, in such times, it is absolutely essential that you take care of your thoughts. You take care of your mind. What are the things that you are imagining? What movies are playing in your imagination? That is so important. First Peter chapter 1 verse 13. I want you to turn there. First Peter chapter 1 verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. The loins of your mind. The Bible is saying your mind has imaginative power. And that imaginative power has creative power. That means whatever you imagine, you will create it in your life. It comes to pass in your life. So gird up means strengthen. Hold up the loins of your mind, your imagination. Be sober. Be at rest. And rest your hope, your confident expectation. Rest your hope. Let your mind and your imaginations be rested fully, fully, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the Bible is saying, rest your expectation, your imagination fully upon the grace of God. Don't imagine horror scenarios, end of the world, Armageddon. Yes, those things will come. But let me tell you this, this pandemic, it is not the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. See, when we talk about the rapture, the Bible says that it will come when no one is expecting it. Many people are teaching that the rapture is not biblical, but it is there in Scripture. The word that Paul uses, harpazo, to be caught up in the air. That is a rapture. The word trinity is not there in the Bible, but the concept is absolutely clear. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the concept is absolutely clear. The rapture will take place, and only after that, the end of the world comes. So if you and I are believers in Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear. In fact, it will not be in a time when everyone is in fear. The Bible says it will be like the days of Noah, when people will be eating and drinking and giving to marriage and living a normal life. And suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, the believers will be caught up in the air. So this pandemic, it is not the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. Which means there are great days that are ahead of you and me, the church of Jesus Christ. Why is it not the end of the world? Because there is a gospel that must still be preached to the ends of the world. Because Isaiah chapter 60 says that God's will is to shine His glory upon the church so that the Gentiles, when there is darkness over the world, God will shine His glory on the church. So that means there are days of revival coming. There are days where God wants the church, every believer, to rise up in faith, to rise up and shine for His glory. And those days are ahead of you. There are amazing days to come. Glorious days. So be at rest. God will take care of you. In times of financial recession, God will meet your needs. Don't give up believing. Even though we may go through difficult times. Don't give up sowing and you will reap. Let me share with you a testimony of hope. I read many years back the testimony of a Jewish Holocaust survivor. Daily for years, he was abused treated worse than animals, subjected to every humiliation 
any human being could be. Every day he saw death right in front of his eyes. And then they would be the ones burying those people in mass graves. Terrible conditions of hunger, sickness, death right in front of their eyes. Days and months, days and months. He saw his friends because of all the conditions. He saw his friends becoming insane, taking their own lives. But he survived because he decided that he would not allow the darkness to fill his mind and fill his heart with despair. You know what he did? He began to fill his mind with thoughts of what he would do after the war was over and after he was released from the camp. He began to fill his mind with food that he would eat, with friends that he would visit, places that he would go and travel and visit, things that he would enjoy. And he began to use his imagination in a positive way. And that preserved him. Why? Because he began to hope, have an expectation of good things to come. And hope preserved his mind. How much more today, you and I, can be preserved by the power of hope when we have centered our imaginations not on wishful thinking, not on vain fantasies, but on the promises of God's Word. On His faithfulness. God is a good God. He's a loving Father. He said, do not worry. Do not be in fear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The amazing prophecies about revival to come. The glory of the church in the last days. The silver and the gold belongs to the Lord. And He will fill the church with His resources. So be at rest and rest your hope fully. Rest your hope fully upon the grace of God. Three benefits of hope. Number one, it will give you strength and security. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, that hope is the anchor of the soul. That means hope will cause your emotions and your feelings to be anchored so that you're not going wild, crazy in your imagination. What will happen to us? What will happen to No, 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 no. Just relax. Hope. Hope in God. Number two, joy and peace. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 27 says, The hope of the righteous will be gladness. That means if you believe you are righteous and you know you are righteous in God, your hope is always gladness. Good things to come. Good things to come. You're not hoping some curses will come. You're not hoping that all the evil will come upon you. You're not hoping that the enemy will just come and grab you. No. Your hope is gladness. Your hope is good things. The blessings of Abraham, the grace of God, the strength of God. No matter what we go through, even though we may suffer for a while, they that trust in the Lord shall not be put to shame. Hallelujah. And number three, character. Hope causes you to endure through difficult times and it builds patience. It builds character. All right. The third thing. Paul says the greatest is love. The Holy Spirit says the greatest is love. Why? Because faith without love is cold. Hope without love is gloomy. It is grim. It is like the rains that came upon Kohima yesterday. And it was so gloomy until the sun broke through. Love is what God wants us to focus on. 
You see, most of the prayer we have received in these six weeks are prayers that were self-focused. Pray for my healing. Pray for my deliverance. Pray for my family. Oh, pray that no, no virus will come to Nagaland. And nothing wrong in those prayers. We've been praying and encouraging believers. But it made me realize that our minds or our hearts are tuned into self-focused faith. Self-focused Christianity. Where all our prayers and our faith is mainly for the betterment of self. See, if you look at the example of Jesus, Jesus did not come to the earth to save himself. He came to the earth to save sinners. Was Jesus a man of faith? Absolutely. Everywhere he went, people were healed, delivered, people raised from the dead, miracles, food multiplied, walking on water. Jesus was absolutely a man of faith and everything he did by his faith in Father and by the anointing of the Spirit upon him. But the greatest demonstration of his faith is this, which we rarely talk about, which faith preachers really rarely talk about. The greatest demonstration of his faith, and this he did by his own free will. He said, I lay down my life by my own, by my own self. It is this, the sacrifice of himself on the cross was the greatest demonstration of his faith. When he died for the sins of the world, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. The greatest demonstration of his faith was to sacrifice his life for sinners, to give away his life for the world. That is love and that is faith. Hallelujah. In these times, our prayers must not only be, Lord, save me, Lord, protect me, Lord, provide for me. No. I think we as the church in Nagaland, we have matured to the point where our faith is not self-focused, but our faith must be directed towards the needs of the world. Our faith must be directed to the kingdom purposes. People are praying and fasting in prayer houses and they're praying that no virus will come to Nagaland. And because there is no statistic yet which says there is virus in Nagaland, we are boasting about how God loves us so much. Really? Is the love of God only to, to boast in the protection of God over Nagaland? No. I think the love of God, God wants it to be released out of Nagaland. And not that we just boast and claim that, oh, no virus in Nagaland because we've been praying and our faith is stronger. No, 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 no. There's nothing wrong in praying that there is protection. But I think we must transfer our faith to greater purposes and greater sacrifice. Let me explain through history. And I love this that I have discovered from the history of the church. In AD 249 to 262, Western civilization was devastated by one of the deadliest pandemics in its history. Though the exact cause of the plague is uncertain, the city of Rome was said to have lost an estimated 5,000 per day during that plague. One eyewitness, Bishop Dionysius of Alexandria, wrote that although the plague did not discriminate between Christians and non-Christians, and even in this pandemic, there is no discrimination between Christians and non-Christians. Many Christians' pastors have died. Many Christians are dying also. All right, so we, our faith must be established on wisdom, not just on bravado. 
this is what the bishop says. Its full impact fell on non-Christians. And having noted the difference between Christian and non-Christian responses to the plague, he says of the non-Christian in Alexandria, listen to this. At the first onset of the disease, the non-Christians pushed the sufferers away. They fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads even before they were dead and treating unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. Doesn't this remind you of some of the way people have been responding in India, other parts of the world? Non-Christian accounts confirm this sentiment. A century later, the Emperor Julian of Rome attempted to curb the growth of Christianity, to stop the growth of Christianity after the plague by leading a campaign to establish, listen to this, pagan charities that copied the work of Christians in his kingdom. In an AD 362 letter, Julian complained that the Hellenists, the Greeks, needed to match the Christians in virtue. Blaming the recent growth of Christianity, very carefully listen, blaming the growth of Christianity on their benevolence to care for strangers, they care for the graves of the dead and the holiness of their lives. And he wrote, It is a disgrace that these impious Galileans, referring to Christians, support not only their own poor, but also our poor, the poor of other faiths. Though Julian questioned the motives of Christians, his embarrassment over Hellenic faiths and charities confirms that pagan efforts fell massively short of Christian standards of serving the sick and the poor, especially during epidemics. And Rodney Stark says this, that this was because there was no doctrinal basis or example in pagan religions for this kind of sacrifice. The Christian response to epidemics must be different. If the non-Christian response to the plague was characterized by self-protection, self-preservation, like most of our prayers, self-protection, self-preservation, like most of the people even behaving in Nagaland, village elders, community elders, it's all about self-protection and avoiding the sick at all costs. Listen to this. If you are listening to this, if your faith is to avoid the sick at all costs, what example are you showing about Jesus? The Christian response was the opposite. According to Dionysius, the plague served as a test for Christians. In a detailed description of how Christians responded to the plague in Alexandria, he writes of how the best among them honorably served the sick until they themselves caught the disease and died. This is what he writes. Most of our Christian brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of others. Heedless of the danger, they took care of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. They were happy to die in serving the sick. Why? 
Because they were not of this world. They knew that their destination is heaven, not here. Christians should never be afraid to die. For they were infected by others with the disease. Drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Listen, Christians must never be afraid to die. The fear of death is a bondage by which Satan binds us. This is the truth. With all the years of Christianity in Nagaland, with all the churches, if we are so afraid to die, where has faith matured us? Where has all the churches brought us to a place of faith? No. All we have is tradition and religion, but no faith. Paul was not afraid to die. Peter was not afraid to die. John was not afraid to die. They looked forward to the day of their death. In fact, Paul says, it is better for me to remain here, and that's why I will use my faith to be here. But he says, my heart longs to be with the, with the Lord in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. In Pontius' biography of Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage, he writes of how the bishop reminded believers to serve not only fellow Christians, but also non-Christians during the plague. And he says, there is nothing remarkable in cherishing merely our own people with the attentions of love. But that one might become perfect who should do something more than hidden men. One who overcoming evil with good and practicing a merciful kindness like that of God should love his enemies as well. Thus the good was done to all men, not only to Christians. And the impact of this was twofold. Very important. Listen to this. Number one, Christian sacrifice for the fellow believers stunned the unbelieving world as they witnessed communal love like they have never seen. And number two, Christian sacrifice for non-Christians resulted in the early church experiencing exponential growth as non-Christian survivors who benefited from the care of the Christian neighbors converted to the faith in masses. Another example from Martin Luther. In the August of 1527, the bubonic plague had come out of Wittenberg and Germany, and everyone who could get out of the village was getting out. The elector of Saxony, John the Steadfast, ordered the famous professor and reformer Martin Luther to leave. He refused. And along with his pregnant wife, Katharina, Luther stayed in Wittenberg, opening his house as a ward for the sick. Bubonic plague was especially virulent and awful disease, killed its victims quickly and painfully, causing high fevers and large boils. It was highly contagious and had a very high mortality rate. In the Black Death of 1347, estimated 50% of Europe died. And as a result, historians tell us that healthy people did all that they could to avoid the plague. They fled the cities, leaving behind the sick and dying. Shops were closed, doctors refused to see patients, and priests refused to administer the last rites. Martin Luther's refusal to leave Wittenberg stands in stark contrast. He chose to stay to minister to the sick literally living in the shadow of death. 
As a pastor asked him when others were fleeing, is it okay for a Christian to flee? Martin Luther says, it is not necessarily wrong to flee from death. But he says that one's community and family responsibilities must first be considered. The example of Christ was his inspiration to stay back and to care for the sick. So, what is our witness as Christians in such times? Is it just to have a self-focused faith? A self-serving attitude, prayers during this time? Or should our faith, our prayers, and our endeavors be focused to those that are in need? My prayer is that people will truly see that we are Christians because of this crisis. Number one, in the way we treat people with love and care. Without any prejudice. Without any ill treatment. Even people that may get sick. In the way that we show Christian charity. Even to people who may be attacking us in a racist way. People from the mainland calling us Corona and so that. Even in those cases, can we extend love and forgiveness and care? Even among our own people, can we expend, extend love and care? Without going out on vigilante groups, uh, headhunting, <laughs> coming up again? No. I think it requires a response of an attitude of love and charity. Secondly, how do we respond to those that are in need in such times? People all over Nagaland that are in need, our own people, daily wage laborers. I believe it's time for us to extend more, more than what we are doing. The government is doing its part, but I believe they cannot reach everyone. Many organizations are doing their part. Many churches are feeding the poor. Many, many prayer houses are feeding the poor. I'm not saying we're not doing anything, but I think we can do more. Instead of just feeding our own church people, we can start feeding even people of other faiths. And thirdly, let's not confine it only to Nagaland. Let's go beyond Nagaland. Let's look for organizations or people outside our state. And let's feed and let's send in a genuine, tangible way the love of God from Nagaland to organizations in Delhi, in Bombay, in places which are really hard-struck so that those people that are in camps, those people who are poor can have food to eat or they can know that there are people in Nagaland who are complete strangers to them and yet we are sending money and we are sending care for them. We can do that. I know that the people who are watching this, many of you can feed 10,000, 10,000 meals. Some of you can feed 5,000 meals. And you can do that. They don't have to know you. The world doesn't have to know you. If God knows, that's enough. And you, if you know that you have, it's enough. And these are things that we do in the spirit. We can reverse the stronghold of racism and animosity between different communities and tribes when we begin to love our enemies, extend ourselves in a tangible Christian way and send love. They don't have to know. They don't have to have a message from us. In the spirit, by obedience to God, if we will send money out 
and people will be fed in Bihar, in Mumbai, in Chennai, in Mumbai, just because of the love of Christians in Nagaland, it would reverse strongholds in our state, strongholds in our land, strongholds in the country. Hallelujah. So I encourage you to do that as the Holy Spirit leads you. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 13, and we'll close here. Oh, Zibalabari Some of you are really worried, I can sense in my spirit right now, about your loved ones who are in hospital. Some of them are in ICU. Some of them are in severe conditions. And there is a lack of medicines. And there's a lack of, um, you know, food, healthy food that you can get to them. And the Lord wants you to just surrender. Surrender your care. Surrender your fears. Even in the lack, His grace can come in. And His grace can use even that little food to supply greater immunity to those patients. Even when there is a lack of medicines, God's grace can come in the area of your weakness. God's grace always shows up in the area of lack. God's grace always shows up in the area of our infirmity, in our weakness, in our lack. You see, when we are strong, we feel that there is no need for God. But in the very area of our need, in our sickness, in our weaknesses, in our infirmities, in our lack, when we cry out to the Lord, that is the perfect time for the grace of God to manifest and that He gets all the glory. He gets all the fame. So trust in the grace of God. Your lack is the qualification for His grace to come. Hallelujah. Your infirmity is a qualification for His grace to manifest. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Hallelujah. Faith requires work at times. It takes work to just go to the scriptures, renew your mind, and to stay in faith. Not trusting your feelings or your sight. Not what you hear from news medias, but what the Word of God says. Love is a labor. It involves sacrifice. It involves taking on burdens of other people. And hope means that we have to hold on. It develops patience. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know what? There is a light at the end of your tunnel and that light is Jesus. That light is His grace. Hallelujah. So be in faith. Remain in hope and abide in love. And I truly believe this tree will preserve you. But above all, remain in love. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Love never fails. Love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Faith can also fade away. But love never fails. And if you will decide to walk in love, that is also faith. That is also faith. That is greater faith in certain situations and circumstances. Remember, Jesus... Greatest demonstration of his love, of his faith, was to sacrifice himself on the cross. Why don't you do some things in this pandemic to sacrifice? We're not sacrificing to earn some brownie points from God. We're not sacrificing 
to earn righteousness from God. No, we are already righteous. We are already blessed. We are already so rich in Christ. But yet, take some decisions to sacrifice. Not in a guilty way, but to sacrifice for the needs of others. To alleviate the pain and the suffering of others. I encourage you to do so as the Lord, as the Holy Spirit leads you. Hallelujah. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700-568-4533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.